In those days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve, whom he named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the sea coast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him and healed them all. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jeff. Morning, everybody. Uh, it's good to be here. It feels like um, when you go off to uni and move out home and then you come back home again, that's what it feels like. Except your mum's moved a whole bunch of people you don't know into the house. <laughs> so, um, but it's really nice to be here, um, and I do love coming back here. Um, we're continuing this uh, series in, in Luke's Gospel this morning. Um, this, week I was, this week I was away um, in beautiful Carlingford, love Carlingford, with Acts 29 Ireland, and we were assessing three new church planters for three new churches that are, that are happening on our island, which is incredible. And one of them, as part of that process, each of those guys preach a short sermon, um, and we kind of give feedback and notes and all that kind of stuff. And one of them said um, that we need to become more aware that the Holy Spirit lives in us. And it hit me like a ton of bricks, because I go through my whole life and don't think very often that the Holy Spirit lives in us. So here's what I want to invite you to do over the next, I'm not going to put a time limit on how long I'm going to speak, but the next period of time, I'm going to invite you to, to be aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing, okay? Now, you might not know what that feels like. None of us do. We don't know what that means. Um, but we are, if you're a Christian, you're part of God's people, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So be aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing. We, Jeff just read from us God's Word, and what the Holy Spirit does, He takes that and enlightens that and makes it come to life in our hearts, and it changes us. So over, as I kind of explain this passage and talk about some of these things, be aware of what the Holy Spirit is doing in you and in us as a church family, and you'll know when the Holy Spirit is leading you, and I pray that He does lead us and change us into more, more to be like Jesus, right? That's what we want. We want to be more like Christ. Um, let me pray, and then we'll get stuck in. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that it is living, that it is active. Uh, thank you that it is sharper than a, a two-edged sword, piercing into the depth of our hearts. It's able to divine, uh, d divide uh, uh, muscle and sinew. Uh, Father, we just pray that through your word, that your spirit will be active in our hearts this, this morning. Uh, changing us, convicting us to be more like Jesus. Remind us again of your love and your grace for us, Lord. And um, for the tired and weary among us, which is probably all of us, we just pray that we find rest in Jesus and his finished work. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, 
I'm sure most of us have felt the effects of rising fuel prices recently. Uh, I, I once, I once, uh, this week I saw someone post online that, that they had filled up their car and it's now more expensive than their monthly car payments. That's where we're at. That's how expensive fuel is. Um, but one thing I've noticed um, uh, about the rising fuel prices is that no matter how expensive it gets, we don't stop buying it. We keep buying petrol, right? Why? because it's essential. We have to. No matter how expensive it gets, we have to keep buying it because we need to be able to get from home to our jobs or home, you know, wherever we're going, we need to be able to get there. Fuel is not an optional add-on for your car. It's something we have to have. And this is a bit like prayer. Uh, prayer is uh, like the fuel we need to live in the way of Jesus. If you think about uh, what the goal of, of the Christian life is, uh, R.C. Sproul, who's uh, he, now, uh, now actually in the presence of Jesus, he died a couple of years ago, um, he put it really simply this way, and, and I love this. He says, the goal of the Christian life is to live in a godly way through obeying Jesus. To live in a godly, to live in a godly way through obeying Jesus. And if I can kind of expand on his explanation, um, the Christian life, of course, includes things like acts of service and being part of a church family and caring for those in need and all those kinds of things. But, but those things are actually outworkings of living in obedience to Jesus, aren't they? And if we're not obeying Jesus, we're not living as a Christian. We can't say we're, we're followers of Christ if we're not doing what Jesus tells us to do. And prayer nurtures our obedience to Jesus. The act of praying, uh, it kind of puts our hearts into a frame of mind uh, that, that leans us more to obedience of Him. We, in fact, if we're left to our own devices, we don't really desire obedience, do we? Um, our uh, four-year-old, she really never desires obedience, ever. <laughs> you have to tell her to do something like four times before she'll do it, and we're a bit like that. But in prayer, um, God changes us. Sometimes we think we come and pray and uh, we're changing God's mind on something. But what happens in prayer is that God changes us. Now, maybe you've been praying about a certain specific um, circumstance or, or situation for, for a while, maybe even years. Um, and, but what happens through that is, is not, that our, not necessarily that our situation changes. Sometimes God does. But what certainly happens is that God uses that prayer, communicates to us to change our hearts so that we can see that circumstance in the way God sees it. And when we do that, it's somehow uh, the Holy Spirit working in us produces a desire for us that we would see that problem or that situation or our lives in general in a godly way, and that is obedience to Jesus. That produces obedience to Jesus. And so, if prayer nurtures our obedience to Jesus, and obedience to Jesus is what the Christian life is, then prayer is pretty important, isn't it? And Jesus knew this. Jesus' life and ministry was based on prayer, and that's what we're going to focus on this morning. Um, we're going to focus on uh, that, that, the prayer life of Jesus, if you like. More specifically, why we need to be like Jesus in our attitude to, to prayer. What we're going to see this morning is that prayer should be as important to us as it was to Jesus. Prayer should be, I think that should be on the screen, Jason, please. Prayer should be as important to us as it was to Jesus. Um, in this passage, uh, Jesus uh, has a pretty big day, right? It's a huge day. 
Um, we've already seen him have some pretty big days already, where he's healing Peter's mother-in-law, where he, he, he gives Peter the huge catch of fish. But this, I think, is up there um, with one of the biggest and most significant days in Jesus' whole life on earth. Um, in this next section that we just started with Jeff's reading this morning, um, we see that Jesus chooses the 12 apostles, then He heals a multitude of people, and then as we'll see after Easter, He goes on to, to preach one of the most important sermons ever. Let me remind us of what, he, what is happening here in verses 13 to 16. And when day came, He called His disciples and chose from them 12 whom He named apostles. Simon, whom he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and don't forget, Judas Iscariot, no spoiler alert, who became a traitor. I love how Luke kind of doesn't, he just keeps it right, right in there at the beginning. Now, we usually think of Jesus only having 12 disciples, and he did for sure, but he also had a lot more. The word disciple just means a follower learner. It's essentially an apprentice, Okay. And by this point in his life, Jesus has gathered a lot of disciples. And it's from this big group of disciples that Jesus chooses the 12 apostles. So what's the difference between apostles and disciples? Well, apostles are disciples, but they are more than that. The word apostle means a representative or a messenger. Uh, I'm sure you've seen this kind of thing in, in movies or on TV where it's, you know, like in the olden days and someone rocks up on a horse and they have a, they have a message from the king, right? And, and that person then is able to speak the words of the king. And so what that messenger says in that moment carries as much authority as if it came from the mouth of the king himself. That's what an apostle is. The title of apostle that Jesus gives to these 12 men means that they are commissioned by him to represent him as they spread his message. The, the apostles had the official Jesus stamp of approval. And, and this time uh, leading up to Jesus' death and resurrection and then ascension is this kind of uh, period of training for them. And then on the day of Pentecost, which we'll, we'll, we'll think about in a few weeks after Easter, then they began the real work of being Jesus' apostles. And He chose 12 of them, the same number as the tribes of Israel, to symbolize that, that the kingdom of God is the new and greater Israel, okay? Um, it's not confined to one nation or one ethnic group. What do we see in Revelation? We see a great multitude of every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered before the throne. Now, apart from Jesus Himself… I think it's hard to imagine a more influential group of people than these 12 guys. We wouldn't be sitting in this room this morning if it weren't for the apostles. Eleven of these guys, because Luke has already told us <laughs> about Judas Iscariot, eleven of these guys, and then the apostle Paul, who became an apostle after Jesus' ascension into heaven, would go on to change the face of the entire world. They would cross mountain ranges and rivers and oceans and continents to spread the gospel as far as Turkey and France and even India. They planted churches and established the church across the, the known world by speaking with authority the message of Jesus, Jesus. Some of them became authors of the Bible, and most of them became martyrs for Jesus choosing to die rather than to, to deny Him. 
And so choosing the 12 apostles was one of the most crucial parts of Jesus' ministry. This is Jesus' legacy after he's gone. You guys need to spend you guys need to pay special attention to me. You guys need to be close for me and learn from me because I'm giving you authority that I'm not giving to anyone else. And they changed the face of the entire world. They changed the course of history through Jesus. Now look at verses 17 and 19. I'll write, read it again. And he came down with them. Jesus came down. He was up the mountain. He came down with them and stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples. You see that, the difference between apostle and disciple? There's a great crowd of disciples. And a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured. And all the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. Now, we don't know how many people this was, we know it was a lot. Uh, Luke calls it a crowd and a multitude. Multitude, uh, Luke uses this word, and so do the other gospel writers, to mean a lot of people, hundreds if not thousands of people. Um, people had come from uh, Tyre and Sidon, which is way up in the north, which is now modern-day Lebanon, and they had come way down in the south in Judea and Jerusalem. They had come the length, length, the length and the breadth of the country. So this is like when uh, I was using this analogy last week in, in South, right? You know when Gar Garth Brooks announces he's playing Croke Park in Dublin? All the cultures from the north and the south and the east and the west, the four proud provinces gather together in Dublin. This is what's happening here. They've come to see Jesus. And they've come for two things. They've come to hear him and be healed by him. All the crowd sought to touch him, for power came out from him, and he healed them all. Jesus healed them all. This is not a common thing. It's not a common thing. No one goes away disappointed this day. This is one of the biggest miraculous displays in Jesus' entire ministry, the outpour of his power and the outpour of his compassion. He's about to preach, and we'll come back to that in a second, this, this sermon about what his kingdom is like. And he says, before I do that, I'm going to show you what my kingdom is like. All you people who are sick and needy, I'm going to heal you all because there is healing in my kingdom. And so he's chosen his disciples. He's healed a multitude of people. And in the rest of chapter 6, which we'll come back to after Easter, we see him preaching the Sermon on the Plain. He comes down from the mountain, he heals the multitude, and then he begins to preach. Now, the Sermon on the Plain is very similar to the Sermon on the Mount recorded in Matthew, and we don't need to right now get into is this two separate sermons or the same sermon recorded in different ways. Uh, what we do know is that this sermon is the greatest teaching that anyone has ever given. This message is more transformative than any other teaching ever. It's the basis of the actions and the morality of the church. In this sermon, Jesus lays out what the kingdom of God is like. He lays out how we should live as his followers, what our hearts should be like, what hearts transformed by, by, the, by the power of his resurrection look like. And it's through obeying his, the teaching of Jesus that then the church has gone on to, to influence and shape culture and law throughout history. This sermon is a big deal. Without this sermon, our cultural landscape would look very different. 
And so I think we can all agree that this is a big day for Jesus. He appoints the, the, the 12 apostles who would, would plant the church, establish the church, and, and, and change the face of the world. He heals a whole multitude of people, and he preaches this sermon that would change the face of the world. Three hugely important, significant things. And yet, what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning is draw our attention to what Jesus was doing the night before this day. Look at verse 12 again. We're going to camp out in verse 12 for a while. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. I wonder how you prepare for big days in your life. Maybe you have a big presentation coming up at work this week or something, or maybe um, you've, you've got, uh, you're, you're in the middle of a, a particularly worrisome or trying time, a family member that's sick. Um, maybe you've got financial problems. Maybe you've got a significant day coming up tomorrow that I don't know about. How do you prepare for those things? My guess is that for most of all, it's not by staying up all night praying. <laughs> If it is, if that's you, then please come and talk to me because I want to learn from you. <laughs> For most of us, when we get busy, when we get overwhelmed, or when we have a lot to do, prayer is way down the list. Usually, if we get busy, we think we're too, we're too busy to pray, or, or we're too worried to pray, or we're too stressed to pray. Lord, I don't even know what to pray. I need to try and figure this thing out. But this is a bit like driving down the road on your way to something important, and the fuel light comes on in your car, bing, and you think, well, I'm in too much of a hurry to stop and fill up with petrol. That, that's foolish. That doesn't make sense, because no matter how much of a hurry you're in, if you don't stop and fill up with fuel, you're not going to make it there at all. Martin Luther, the, the, great, the father of the Reformation, was asked, uh, someone asked him, well, what are you doing today, essentially, was the question. What do, you, what, do you got, what do you got going on today? And he said, work. Work from early until late. And then he said, in fact, I have so much work to, to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. You see, Luther knew the importance of putting petrol in the car. He wasn't going to get through his day without first filling up. And this is the example of Jesus we see here. He goes off to the mountain, and he, he continues to pray to God all night in preparation for one of the most significant days of his whole ministry. Jesus didn't think to himself that getting a full eight hours was the thing to do. He didn't think, well, I better be well rested. He didn't think, well, I'm, I'll go to bed early. I'm going to get up. Um, I'll have a shower, and then I'm going to have a decent breakfast and a nice cup of coffee. And sure, while I'm having my coffee, I'll maybe flick through a couple of Scriptures and, and say a prayer, Lord, help me today with this stuff I have to do. But He didn't do that, did He? Jesus instead, feeling the weight of responsibility and the magnitude of what God was doing at this point in His life, spent the whole night where? In communion with the Father. For Jesus, being with the Father, because that's what prayer is, isn't it? was the most important thing. And it's out of this prolonged time spent with the Father in prayer, in communion, in fellowship, that these really powerful and world-changing things happen. It's out of His time with the Father that the power of Jesus' ministry flows. We see this time and time again, that it's out of His time spent with the Father that it's the power of, the power of His ministry flows. 
We're only in chapter 6 of 24 in Luke, okay? So we got, we've been going for a wee while, but we've got quite a way to go. Um, but we've already seen this twice. This is so important, such a big deal, that Luke has already recorded this twi- twice. In chapter 4, verse 42, um, Luke says, and when it was day, he departed and went to a desolate place. In chapter 5, verse 16, it, Luke tells us that he would often withdraw to the desolate place to pray. This is something Luke records over and over and over again. Jesus would frequently take himself off to pray, to be with the Father, because it was out of communion with the Father that the power of his ministry flowed. You see, for Jesus, doing good, preaching the gospel, healing the sick, caring for those in need, facing opposition, and resisting temptation were all key features of his life. And if we follow him, then these will be key features of our lives too. And the key thing to notice is that Jesus didn't do any of these things without regularly praying and spending time with the Father. And so here's the million-dollar question. If Jesus' life and ministry was based on, dependently prayer, on dependent prayer, how much more should ours be? If Jesus' life and ministry was based on prayer, how much more should ours be? This can't be lost on us. If the eternal Son of God couldn't function as the human man Jesus without depending on God in prayer, how much more essential is it for us? Prayer was everything to Jesus. It was through dependent prayer that Jesus lived this a perfect sinless life. He wasn't automatically sinless. We sometimes think that. Well, it's okay for Jesus. He was Jesus. What it actually means is it's okay for Jesus. He was a human being. And it was as hard for him to resist temptation as it was, as it is for us. And he did that through depending on the Father in prayer. It was through dependent prayer that Jesus gave himself over to those in need, to heal the sick, to speak truth, to cast out demons. It was through depending on God in prayer that Jesus went to the cross to be crucified. John 8, verses 28 and 29, uh, Jesus says this. He says, I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me, and He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to Him. You see what this means? This means that even though Jesus was the eternal Son of God, even though He created the entire universe, even though He is the Alpha and Omega, even though everything in creation ever finds its beginning and end with Him, He could not live His human life except through depending on the Father. So how much more do we need to depend on God in prayer? Listen, I've been so challenged and convicted by this What is so special about us that we think we can get by without praying? Why do we think we do? Why why, why do we think that we can just run on empty? Prayer needs to be as important to us as it was to Jesus. Now, since we've started this series in Luke, there has been a lot of focus already on reaching out to those in need. This has been one of the key features of Jesus' ministry, hasn't it, so far? Um, we're, we're, all, we're only in Galilee. There's a lot more country to, to, that Jesus has got to get to. 
But already we see this, this focus on, on healing the sick and caring for those in need, preaching the gospel. And, and we, as a church, want to go to the poor. We want to serve our communities. We want to ser uh, serve those in need. We want, want to welcome the outcasts and the refugee. And these are good desires. These are the kind of things that we want our church to be good at. Because like we saw when Jesus healed the man with the weathered hand, we, we can't pretend to worship Jesus if we aren't caring for those in need. But if we're learning anything from Jesus' life, it's that doing these things can't happen and probably won't happen if we're not praying, if we're not dependent on God in prayer. We can't be like Jesus if we don't do the things Jesus did. And if Jesus' ministry was based on prayer and communion with the Father, then ours needs to be too. Otherwise, we won't get very far. We might start off okay, but eventually we'll run out of petrol. And actually, a lot of the time, none of us, we, we're not very good at putting petrol in before we even start. Throughout history, things happening in the church has always been because people have got together to pray. Great revivals happen when people get together to pray. Miraculous provision happens when people get together to pray. Even the abolishment of slavery in the UK happened because people were praying for it. Because it's in prayer that God changes our hearts, fuels our desire to obey Him, and drives us out into the world to serve Him. And if we really want to serve those in, in Belfast, if, if you guys really want to serve the poor and preach the gospel and seek change in East Belfast, then we need to start by praying, by depending on God in prayer. And believe me, I'm preaching to myself. Uh, listen to what Jesus says to his disciples in John chapter 15. He says, um, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. During the first lockdown, uh, which is two years ago, hard to believe it's two years ago, Haley started growing uh, some stuff, some stuff, some tomatoes and strawberries, and not like weed or anything, um, some tomatoes and uh, vegetables in, in our back garden. And that did sound a bit dodgy. We, can we edit that out the recording? <laughs> it's not live on YouTube. There we go. Um, and, and last year, uh, one, of the, one of the tomato plants kind of grew with like one stem and then two really big branches. And, and both, had both had some tomatoes, but the main one was doing better, but this one had some small tomatoes. And so in order to get the main one to grow and, and, and so that this other branch wasn't sucking up all the nutrients, you had to cut that one off, right? Um, so we cut it off. Well, I cut it off. Now, when I cut that branch off the vine, it didn't keep growing. It didn't produce great tomatoes. It weathered and died. We threw it in the compost bin. And, in, and Jesus says, this is like us. If we're not connected to and depending on, on Him, the vine, we won't produce any fruit. He doesn't say, well, apart from me, you guys will probably do some things. Or apart from me, you can do a wee bit. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so if we're going to produce fruit, if we're going to grow 
as a healthy church, if we're going to um, flourish in obeying him, if we're going to reach out to those in need to our community, if we're going to share the gospel with those who don't know him, we need to be dependent on God in prayer. Prayer needs to be as important to us as it was to Jesus, because without prayerfully depending on him, we will wither and die. If we're going to be a flourishing church, we need to be a praying church. Now, from this verse, I think there's three things that, that, that we can learn about prayer from Jesus' examples. Um, because here's the truth. I, I know a lot of us don't know where to begin. Prayer can be scary. Um, it can be confusing. It can seem like a chore. Um, it can be intimidating, especially if we're in a group, can't it? It can be mysterious. So here's, here's three simple things that I think can really help us as we think about prayer from verse 12. Um, and because I'm uh, channeling my inner Presbyterian minister this morning, they're three Ps. Alan loves three Ps. So this is for Alan. Um, place, purpose, and perseverance. Um, look at verse 12 again. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. The first thing we see is that Jesus went out to the mountain to pray. This is the place of prayer. Um, prayer is definitely and, and should be something that we can and should do all the time, continually. Uh, I tell my kids every night that the prayer is just talking to God. You just speak to Him about what's on your mind. And that's certainly what prayer is. Um, and you can talk to God no matter where you are. And, and one, I love this idea that Paul teaches us in 1 Thessalonians 5 that, that we should pray without ceasing right? That we can uh, be in constant communication with the Father. I find that I do this all the time when I'm driving or, or riding my bike, just chittering away. Whatever pops into my head or when something comes up throughout the day, Lord, what do you think about that? Or Lord, what should I do here? Lord, please help me. Um, and, and, and that idea of being in constant communication with the Father is a really, really good thing, and we should do that. But here we see Jesus intentionally moving himself to a place where he can have complete focus on his communion with the Father. This is different from just praying as you go about your day. He goes to the mountain to pray. And, and Luke tells us time and time again throughout this gospel that Jesus would position himself away from the distractions of his life and ministry, all the busyness, all the people crowding around him, in order to spend time with the Father. And it's important for us to follow this example. Life is complex, it's complicated, it's busy. There are a thousand things that distract us. Even this morning in my study at home, I sat down to kind of uh, pray and go over this. And I was like, oh, there's an email, there's an email. And you're like, oh, come on. Like, we're just distracted by a thousand things. And so much of our lives is about getting stuff done. And we need to, at times to escape with Jesus. I love how um, the message translation, Eugene Peterson, such a pastor, and he says, uh, he translates Matthew 11, uh, come to me all you here labor. And what you know what it says? It says, get away with me, Jesus says. Get away with me. This is what Jesus says to us, escape with me. John Stark has written a really helpful book about prayer called The Possibility of Prayer. Um, and in this book, he says it this way. He says, Christ is personally and really present with us when we pray. 
And so we need a meeting place where we, can, where, we, where we know we can give attention to the one thing, not a dozen small things. If I want to spend quality time with my best friend, for example, I don't just text him every now and again. We, we meet in a specific place where we can be face-to-face -face and, and give each other our full attention and focus. There was a reason why Jesus took Himself off to places of prayer. Now, it might not be for us going to the mountains every week. If you can do that, then great, do that. Be intentional about that. But for most of us, this place of prayer is a, just a time, any time, carved out to spend, to be with Jesus, to spend time with Him. Maybe it's taking the dog for a walk. Maybe it's going to your room and turning off your phone. Maybe it's going to the park and sitting under the tree. Whatever it is, you need to find this place of prayer for you, a time, or time and space carved out to be with Jesus, being intentional about your relationship with Him. And, and I know this is, this is going to change through the seasons of life. Some of you will be in the position where you can go off into nature and spend two hours with the Lord. But some of you are in a season of life where you go from the busyness of a, a crazy job to coming home to the busyness of having children. And so the place of prayer for you will look very different, but the benefits are still the same, and I would still encourage you to do it. Um, John shared this story with staff a, a few weeks ago about John and Charles Wesley's uh, mother back in the 1700s. This woman had 10 kids, right? 10 kids. Um, I can barely cope with two, but she coped with 10, bless her. And in the middle of the day, uh, when she was busy looking after 10 kids, looking after the home, cooking all the meals, doing all the laundry, all that kind of stuff, um, she would sit at the kitchen table and put her apron over her head just to pray. And the kids knew, right, mom's praying, let's not disturb her right now. In the middle of a busy day, she found a place of prayer by pulling her apron over her head. She, in other words, what I'm trying to say is she did what she had to do to go to the mountain to be with God. Do you see? This was her way of going to the mountain. And, and John and Charles uh, always frequent, or frequently talked about their mom as being an example of how to pray, what a faithful woman of God looks like. So if she could find a place of prayer whilst looking after 10 kids in just a simple way, then maybe in the example of Jesus, so can we go into the place of prayer. The next thing we see is being purposeful in prayer. Notice in verse 12, uh, it says that Jesus went out, that he went out to the mountain to pray, okay? There was a real purposefulness in Jesus' actions. Now, sometimes when I read about Jesus uh, going to the desolate place or withdrawing off, I I'm like, fair enough, Jesus, like if I had a crowd coming after me all the time, I'd need to get away too. Um, sometimes I think of those things as like Jesus just wants to get away from all the annoying people who are bugging him for stuff all the time, like get his head shard for a while. But Jesus didn't think the way we think. He was sinless. He wasn't frustrated or fed up with the people, and he certainly never put his needs above the needs of the people. So for Jesus to withdraw, he does it 
to pray because he knows that he can't be fully with the people unless he's fully with the Father. He can't be of full benefit to the people unless he has been with the Father. The purpose of his actions here is to pray and connect with God. It wasn't simply to get his head shard from all the annoying people. He was purposeful in praying because he loved people. Jesus was purposeful about his prayer life. And I suspect that that maybe that's the biggest challenge for most of us in the busy kind of culture that we live in. Um, I would say that most of us pray spontaneously, at least some of the time, right? Most of us probably do have times when we, you know, say, oh, Lord, help me with this, or please, Lord, can you bless such and such, or whatever it might be. But probably all of us struggle with persevering or, or, yeah, with, with being purposeful in prayer, sorry. But if we're following the example of Jesus, who lived his life depending on God through prayer, then we need to be purposeful about prayer. Why? Because otherwise it's like trying to drive the car without putting any fuel in. This is why we have a time of prayer before our gatherings on Sunday. Not just because we think it's what we're supposed to do, or, but, be, but because we want to be purposeful. We want our, our gatherings to flow out of time spent with the Father. We want, we want to ask God to bless this, this time together. We want Him to be present here. This is why we're purposeful about gathering uh, to pray as a church. For the past couple of years, it's been on Zoom, and now we're getting back into rhythms of, of doing that in person. Why? Because churches are meant to have prayer meetings? No because we want to be purposeful about depending on God, just like Jesus was. I can't just drive my car and hope that when it runs out of fuel, I'm beside a filling station. It doesn't work like that. I have to be purposeful, intentional about going to fill up before I need it, before I desperately need it. And if we are to live lives that follow Jesus, obeying Him, going to those in need, resisting temptation, facing opposition, and preaching the gospel, then we need to be purposeful in prayer. And the final one is the perseverance in prayer. Look at verse 12. Again, one last time. In these days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. I can't remember the last time I stayed up all night. There were a couple of times back in my student days when I stayed up all night because I thought that the best time to do an assignment was the night before it was due in the next day. Um, But here, Jesus stays up all night praying. This is astonishing. Can you imagine how tired he was? Can you imagine the sheer physical effort it took to do that? Jesus prays all night, and Luke tells us that he continues all night in prayer. This, this literally means that Jesus was persevering with energy. Sometimes we wrongly assume that Jesus had some link to the Father that made, uh, he, it made he had an automatic connection, that he didn't have to put energy into praying. But that's not true. Jesus was fully human. And as a human man, he had to put the same effort into prayer that we do. Jesus persevered in prayer. He knew that the next day he was going to choose his 12 apostles. He needed to pray and discern God's wisdom. And so he continued to pray all night. And so often, we're prone to lose heart and give up on prayer, aren't we? Maybe we go through a season of being in good habits of praying, 
But then after a while, we fall out of that habit and start relying on our own strength again. But the lesson of Jesus is that we need to persevere. We don't just fill up our car and that does it for the rest of the time we have that car. Imagine how good that would be. You buy a car and you fill it up, and that's me done with filling it up. But we need to keep going back again and again to fill up. So it is with prayer. And Jesus didn't just persevere one night in prayer, but right throughout his whole ministry. And so how much more do we need to persevere in prayer? Prayer needs to be as important for us as it was for Jesus. And in this example, we see him going to the place of prayer, being purposeful in prayer, and persevering in prayer. Now, I'm aware that I've been talking for a while, and so I want to finish. Um, and maybe you've listened to this, and you're tired. Maybe you listen to this, and you're a bit fed up. Maybe you've listened to this, and you're thinking, I just need a rest. Weren't you, you know, didn't, haven't we just been learning um, earlier on that, that Jesus is our true rest, that he came to give us Sabbath rest, and you're giving me another list of things to do, to, to be striving in prayer and to be persevering in prayer and all this kind of stuff? Well, let me say this. Prayer is not a chore. It's an amazing gift. Think about it. God could have just left us to it, right? He could have saved us and then said, well, off you go. Get on, get on with your lives and I'll see you in heaven someday. But he didn't do that, did he? He has made himself known to us. We can have intimacy with him. In fact, he desires intimacy with us. The God of all creation desires to be close to us and have communion with us. And it's such a great gift. And, and most of the time, we, we barely take it out of the wrapper. We shouldn't think of prayer as a chore, but as a great gift. In that book that I talked about, The Possibility of Prayer, John Stark says, prayer is not possible because we have somehow made ourselves worthy of God's attention, but because God has made Himself known to us. And if this gift of communion and intimacy with the Father is available to us, why would we not be purposeful about receiving it? Yes, we need to come to the Father, and yes, we get to come to the Father. And the amazing thing is that when we come to Him in prayer, we find rest for our souls. We have to be purposeful, sure. We have to make a, an effort to, to gather to pray or to go to our places of prayer or take time out of our lives or whatever it is we're doing. But in that, we find rest. I think about spending time with my wife. There's nothing I love doing more when it's just the two of us enjoying each other's company, being in each other's presence. And this is how Jesus feels about spending time with you. He thinks, yes, I get to spend time with you. I get to have intimacy with you. I get to be close to you. The God of all creation says, this is what you were created for. And right now, you get to do this. Jesus wants to spend time with you. Jesus loves spending time with you. And the other thing about it is, for, for me and Haley to spend time together, sure, it takes effort. Sometimes you have to get babysitters. You have to make some plans. You have to book tickets for, tickets for a restaurant. How do you book tickets for a restaurant? Or, or uh, make a reservation at the cinema? <laughs> 
Um, it takes a bit of planning. But it's never not worth it. It's always life-giving. It's always joyful. It's always restorative. The same with our prayer. We're purposeful about making it happen. But when we do, we find intimacy with Jesus. We find rest for our souls. If you're weary, if you don't know, I don't even know how to continue as a Christian. The answer isn't to, well, I don't know how to be a Christian, so I'm not going to pray. The answer is to, to, to lean into prayer, to go to the place of prayer, whatever that looks like for you, and say, God, I'm weary. Lord, I'm weary. I, I don't know what to do, but I trust your word when you tell me that you desire intimacy with me. When you say, come to me and I will give you rest, Lord, that's what I need. So let's not think about prayer as something we have to do, but something we get to do. Yes, it's vital for our lives, and yes, it's a gift that God gives us. God wants to spend time with you. He has made himself known to us, and he has paid the ultimate cost through the sacrifice of his own son to be in relationship with you. Jesus died on the cross to win you to himself, and, and, and prayer is like a kind of ongoing benefit of that sacrifice. Do you see? So let's be people of prayer. Not because we have to, but because we get to. Let's live with lives dependent uh, on God in prayer and intimacy with the Father. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would just uh, lead us to make prayer as important for us as it was for Jesus. That we find rest in that. Come, Holy Spirit, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you that you have been speaking to us this morning. Uh, Father, I pray that you would help us to uh, realize the gift that prayer is for us. Lord, uh, a lot of us are weary. A lot of us are worried. A lot of us are insecure. A lot of us are tired and confused. Um, Father, I pray that, for, that we wouldn't withdraw. We, we wouldn't uh, resist prayer, but we would run towards you, not away from you. The answer isn't to cut ourselves off from you, but to lean into you. Father, I pray for our church, both in East and in South, that we would, that we would become people of prayer, that, that we would see the value of depending on God in prayer. Um, Lord, we don't want to do anything apart from you. We can't do anything apart from you. We don't want to strive in our own efforts. We just want to depend fully on you. And Father, as we come to your table again this morning, I pray that you would remind us um, of the cost of intimacy with you. And maybe when we realize the cost of this gift, we wouldn't be so quick to throw it away or discard it. Uh, Father, I pray that you would impose and impress on us again um, just what it cost Jesus to bring us into intimacy with you. Um, may we be a praying people. May we be a restful people, resting on the finished work of God. And Father, help us to prioritize the time on the mountain. We love you, Lord, and we desire more intimacy with you. Thank you that your arms are open wide for us. In Jesus' name.